We've been looking at uh, how demonic uh, uh, beings work, and we're talking in this particular outline about their power. Uh, Never underestimate the powers of darkness. Uh, We are in a spiritual war, and Paul makes that incredibly clear in many of his letters. The New Testament is uh, certainly not ambiguous at all about it, and yet most Christians kind of live like we're on a playground. Last time we talked about how one of the things that the demons uh, do in their mission is they slander God and men. You can see that in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. Uh, Job tells us how Satan works. He appears before God, slandering God's people. And then Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 tells us that there is coming a time when the devil will be banned from heaven. And notice he's called the accuser of our brethren who accuse them before God day and night. So uh, for some Christians, it's, it's a shock to find that the devil still spends time in heaven. He has not been banned from heaven as yet. That will happen during the Great Tribulation. He spends most of his time in heaven doing what he was doing to Job. And then his demons are all over the planet. Remember that Satan is not a fallen God, so he is not omnipresent, nor is he omnipotent, nor omniscient. So he he can't be everywhere at once. He can't do everything, and he doesn't know everything. But he has a vast army of demons who can't. And then secondly, we saw that another way in which they work and and wield their power is they blind men to the truth. Uh, Paul makes that quite clear in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, where he calls the devil the god of this age. Notice small case G, not not uh, uppercase G. He's a god only in that he is an arrival of the true god. And so he's the but he is the god of this age. He's the god of this world system and he blinds people. And then of course John warns us don't don't trust every spirit. Try the spirits. Not every spirit that appears to be from God is from God, and therefore we need to test the spirits. And, and that is something that a, a lot of us uh, don't know that much about. But remember in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul tells us that Satan and his ministers uh, masquerade as angels of light. And it doesn't have to just be people who are teaching false doctrine, but they kind of look good. Sometimes it's people who will actually share pieces of orthodox truth. But they mix it with error and, of course, end up deceiving and destroying uh, many, many people. They also, we saw in the last of the lesson two weeks ago, they also are able to work miracles. And and this is somewhat of a, um, a gray area for a lot of us. And the Bible does not go into great detail. But we do know that in the book of Job, once again... God kind of pulls back the curtains for a moment and lets us see into the spirit world and how the demons and how Satan works. And we see these, uh, these demons bringing calamities on Job's family. Now, they're doing it with God's permission. They don't uh, uh, free range. They can't just do whatever they want to do. But it does appear that they are able to work what we would call bona fide miracles. Uh, when the Antichrist comes to power, Notice that he works with deception, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And some have often said, well, it's just sleight of hand. I don't think so. I think what we're reading about here is bona fide supernatural stuff. Now, again, it's all under the sovereignty of God. 
But when you go to Revelation 13 and you read about how the Antichrist and his cohort uh, called the false prophet are able to create this image and make this image speak. Well, we're, we're talking probably some technology, but as I read Revelation, there's something more there than just technological advancing through computer science. We're talking about something a little bit supernatural. Now, that brought us then to the point where we were when we ended the class last time. And that is that even though demons can work miracles, remember that they're not omnipresent. I could have put omnipotent, omniscient, any of these omnis. They're, they're none of those. So they are limited in their power to work miracles. Now, if you go to the book of Exodus, you'll find that the Egyptian magicians, and that's probably a nice term, because what they really were were warlocks and wizards, witches. That's what they were. But they're called magicians, but not to be confused with illusionists in our day that are able to, you know, appear to make a coin, uh, you know, show up out of thin air. They're just using sleight of hand and illusion. These, I don't think these, these men were that. I believe that these men were actually using demonic power to work miracles, but they were limited. They could only replicate a few of God's miracles that we often call plagues in Egypt, but those were all miracles. And they were only able to replicate a few of them, and then their ability stopped short. Now, we're not going to go into it this morning, but remember that there was a witch in a place called Endor who was able to call back the deceased prophet Samuel. Now, I don't believe that she actually had that kind of power. She had a familiar spirit. The Bible calls them a familiar spirit. And I think she deceived people by using this familiar spirit, which is nothing more than a cohort demon is what a familiar spirit is. And this demon would impersonate deceased people and thus make her clients think that she was calling back real people from the dead when what she was really doing is using a demon to impersonate and make people think that she was calling people back from the dead. So that's what she expected when she called up Samuel, but instead, the Bible says, God allows the real Samuel to show up. And the evidence that the, the, the witch didn't expect this is she shrieks when she realizes this is not her familiar spirit impersonating. This is the real prophet, Samuel. And of course, then he pronounces judgment on Saul and his sons and Saul for dabbling in witchcraft. The Old Testament has a lot to say about things like... Um, what we'd call seances, uh, necromancy, uh, trying to talk and communicate with the dead, bringing the dead back. And we'll actually do a lesson or two at the end of this series about those very things, about witchcraft and all that. But this is all real. And, and I think sometimes we kind of think uh, that it's just hocus pocus, and it's not. So uh, the amazing thing is God will harness... Uh, this power that the demons have to accomplish his own purpose. As we all know, the Bible says that God ultimately causes the wickedness of man to praise him. Nothing is ever going to challenge God's sovereignty. God is ultimately in charge. His kingdom will march on and his will ultimately will be done. What I believe, though, is that his will may not be done in me. There's a certain reciprocal relationship that I have and, and God called me to preach, I could have said no. And I could have rejected God's call, lived in disobedience, still be a Christian, but die in disobedience and pay the price for that. 
So God's will will not always be accomplished in us individually unless, of course, we're compliant, which is what sanctification is all about. But His ultimate will is going to be accomplished. Demons are no match for the Lord. And so there are examples. For instance, in Psalm seventy-eight forty-nine, He cast on them the fierceness of His anger, wrath, indignation, and trouble by sending angels of destruction among them. Now, when you read the book of Revelation, you know that sometimes holy, faithful angels are used as judging angels. Uh, in Revelation, when all these judgments are being poured out on wicked man during the Great Tribulation, it's, it's faithful angels who are doing that. So they're carrying out God's judgment. But there could be a hint here that sometimes God will use demons as angels of destruction. It's pretty clear in the book of Job that God used them to accomplish His purpose. So it's kind of like what Joseph said to his brothers, you meant this for evil, God meant it for good. Now, at the time it's happening, it's hard to uh, discriminate between that which is good and that which is bad, right? I mean, you know, when you're in the middle of a trial, when you're in the middle of a disaster, it all feels bad. But as we just trust in God and, and allow God to work in and through us and teach us, Sometimes we look back in the rearview mirror and our spiritual insight kind of becomes 2020. And we can begin to see years later how God was working in the midst of all of that. But he may have been using Satan and his demons to ultimately accomplish his plan, which is the ultimate turning of the tables, isn't it? I mean, the devil wants to destroy what God is doing and God lets him run and then uses it to actually accomplish his higher holy plan in our lives. So I think that may be what we're reading about there. And then 1 Kings 22, uh, you read about how God used uh, demons in the Old Testament uh, to, um, to, to uh, deceive wicked people. Notice in verse 23, Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. Now, obviously, this is not saying that God lies. Because the Bible tells us God cannot lie. Lying is antithetical to the character and nature of God. But what God will do is allow demon spirits to lie to and to deceive those who have willingly chosen to follow wickedness. Now, I, we won't turn to this scripture, but in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, that's exactly what the Bible says God will do with those who miss the rapture. And have had an opportunity to come to Christ before the rapture. That God will send a strong delusion. That's the same as um, a lying spirit. And people who've had an opportunity to come to Christ and said no. Before the rapture, after the rapture. Will be deluded by a lying demonic spirit. And will actually buy into the antichrist lies. Now there will be many who won't. Because they hadn't had that opportunity to come to Christ. But there were many who will. And that's a demon spirit. But God is using that as a way of punishing wicked people who laughed at God's mercy and grace. And there, there's a cutoff point. And, and I don't exactly know where that is. And I, I, I'm sure it's different for every person. But there is a cutoff place. Um, R.G. Lee, the, the, uh, many years ago now 
but one time famous pastor of the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, where Adrian Rogers uh, had a long ministry. Uh, um, uh, R.G. used to preach a sermon that he became very famous for, and he would actually be invited to come preach it at revivals entitled Payday Someday. And then there are other preachers uh, like J. Harold Smith who preached a sermon, God's Three Deadlines. And he became famous for that sermon and was asked to go and preach it and teach it here and there. And he would talk about how ultimately there's a payday. There is a cutoff point. And I don't know when it is, and I don't know how God works. But even in the Christian's life, there appears to be a cutoff. John talks about a sin unto death, and that there's no need in praying for a person that's committed that because they're going to die. They're going to die prematurely. They're a Christian, but God's going to take them out punitively. We look at people and we say, well, I don't know how that works because some people seem to be able to get away with all kinds of stuff and others don't. That has to do with God's dealing with every individual and God knowing who we are, how we work, opportunities that we've had. But God uses um, evil spirits. Uh, Paul even kind of hints at this in the book of Philippians. In chapter 1, verses 15, 16, and then 18, where he talks about how some in his day were preaching the gospel, but their motive was evil. The reason they were doing it was to bring more hell down on Paul's head to get him into greater trouble because everybody in authority would be blaming Paul and these guys were out preaching. Now, you would think, well, good grief. Paul would have just scathing remarks for these people. Well, he probably would have for them individually, but the actual circumstance, notice what Paul says. Well, he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul understood that the power is not in the messenger, but in the message. Now, godly men who preach, I do believe, can be empowered by God's Spirit to preach in a very powerful way. But even if we aren't, The gospel is still true. The power is in the gospel. Remember what Paul says in Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And that word power in the Greek language, which the New Testament is originally written in, is the word from which we get our word dynamite. It's the word dunamis. And it means dynamo or dynamite. So the power is in the message, not the messenger. So notice these people are not just preaching out of ill motive. Notice he uses the word pretense. They're fakes. They're fakes. Now, it's hard to believe that somebody could be a fake and preach the gospel. But there's biblical proof. Not everybody who's preaching the gospel is even a Christian. Now, I know that's contradictory to all logic. Why in the world would somebody who's not a Christian preach the gospel? There could be all kinds of reasons. These people that Paul's referring to, they had a hatred for Paul. And the reason they're preaching the gospel is to bring more uh, destruction down on Paul. But there could be all kinds of other reasons. Um, Maybe career, money. Uh, I'm convinced that there are a lot of pastors today in churches that probably aren't saved. It's a career for them. They grew up in church. They're probably not all that bad people when it just comes to normal people relations. 
and chose the ministry as a career. And I think that would then certainly explain why there's so much compromise doctrinally in guys that pastor what have always been Orthodox churches, like Baptist churches, compromising left and right. So anyway, uh, Paul says they preached out of pretense. They could do it out of money. They could do it for money. Uh, They could do it because they're trying to maybe earn their salvation, thinking that if they'll do this, God will say, hey, you did such a good job. You're rewarded. Come on in. Nowhere in Scripture does the Bible say that preaching will get you into heaven. In fact, I've found among most preachers, it'll probably keep us further from it sometimes. So anyhow, uh, God uses this. Number five, demons influence evil practices in men. Now, that's kind of a duh, but in, in covering a subject like this, we have to deal with it. Now, not all evil practices... And though I won't put the passage on the screen, remember in James 1, James tells us that we all sin when we're drawn away by our own lust. The real sin issue is in the heart. This is what Jeremiah, of course, said. The heart is is very wicked. Who could possibly know it? And so James talks about lust, sin, and death. It's, It's what I used to call the LSD of the Bible. Lust leads us to sin. Sin brings spiritual death, sometimes even physical death. So many of us sin, not because the devil made me do it. You guys remember Flip Wilson? Anybody remember the old comedian Flip Wilson? Right. And he was very famous for the devil made me do it, right? And it was funny, and I don't think he meant anything spiritual by it. Whether he's Christian, I don't even know. But unfortunately, many of us want to blame our own sin on the devil. Well, the devil made me do No, the devil can't make us do anything. He can mess with us, and his demons can really make it hard on us and put us into a corner. We sin out of our own sinful hearts. But at the same time, the demons are involved in influencing evil practices. So, for instance, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, Paul says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So notice here, Paul is saying that people who are saved... Don't do that anymore. By the way, that's one of the great proofs as to whether or not a person is saved. They don't do that anymore. So when people say, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a born-again uh, homosexual, but I'm a practicing homosexual, that's impossible. Because 1 Corinthians 6 says, you stop that. Now, how many of us would embrace the concept, I'm a born-again serial killer, practicing serial killer? Well, I'm a born-again practicing adulterer or adulteress. I'm practicing, but I'm born again. See, we wouldn't buy that with any other sin. So this whole idea of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, but I'm still saved. No, 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 no. The Bible says it's the opposite. But notice the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And then you can write another passage of Scripture down. It's a long passage in Romans 1 where Paul obviously says that demons are busy uh, working evil through primarily unsaved men and women. 
And uh, they do so. So how do they do this? Well, they promote all sorts of sinful practices. And as you go through Romans 1, Paul gives us an exhaustive list of the horrible practices that are demonic. Which, oddly enough, when you take that list and overlay it with today's culture, we're a duplicate. But not only that, you have so-called Christians approving of much of that. You even have preachers approving of much of that. And if they don't approve of it, they at least have a very, very uh, low um, defense against it or no defense, which as far as I'm concerned is to condone it. Uh, So they promote all sorts of sinful practices and you can read the list. But the scripture also says they promote idolatry. Uh, Psalm 106, they serve their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrifice their sons and daughters to demons. See, most of us say, well, idols, you know, it's idols. No, they're demons, the Bible says. And you say, well, I don't have any graven images in my house. Really? It may not be the shape of a Buddha, but it could be a graven image. Anything that takes our devotion more than our devotion to the Lord is in essence an idol. Sports become idols to a lot of people, a lot of Christians. Sports more important than the commitment to Christ. Now, it's not in that they wouldn't deny Christ for football, but they disobey God and won't serve because of football or basketball or whatever it is. That's an idol. That's a, now, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy sports or play sports or whatever, but if we allow those things to come between us and God, I've known people that they allowed their fishing or their hunting practices to be, it, to be an idol. Well, that's really demons. And of course, the they that Scripture is talking about here is not the pagans. Psalm 106 is about supposedly God's people doing this. And then 1 Corinthians 10, rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Notice he's using the word idol and demon interchangeably. And he's telling these Christians at Corinth, you need to guard against being involved in demonic stuff. Meaning Christians can be involved in that which is demonic. And we'll talk more about that when when we talk about how that evidences itself. Uh, Demons also uh, work evil practices in men by promoting fleshly desires. Um, David was inspired, the Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles 21, by demons to disobey God by numbering Israel. Now later on, God tells him to number Israel, but David gets ahead of God and wants to number them for his own bragging rights. Well, that's wrong. And the Bible tells us it was actually a demon that caused, inspired David to do that. David could have said no. Now you say, well, you know, that's Old Testament. Well, what about churches boasting about their size of their congregation? Or their facilities? Or their budgets? Same deal, isn't it? I mean, for years, pastoring a Southern Baptist church, we, we would get the Baptist Messenger, which, by the way, is the third largest publication, at least it has been over the years, in Oklahoma, a printed publication. And the very back page, they, they took it out. But there used to be attendance that churches would send in. It would be printed one week from the previous week. We called it the scoreboard because basically what it was, it was this churches bragging. And you'd notice sometimes that churches that were normally in there wouldn't report some Sunday. Well, they had a down Sunday, so they, they didn't report. But I guarantee you they were all in there the Sunday after Easter. 
because buddy they that was a high day for them and so they're they're see it could be it can be anything uh they promote sensual uh pleasures that god intended within marriage to be a, a blessing and and a godly thing but uh john reminds us that that which is in the world what is it lust of the flesh lust of the eyes pride of life it's not from the father but of the world whenever we allow the devil to twist what God intended for good, then it, be, it becomes evil. And, and so, uh, and Romans 1, of course, goes into great detail. I'm trying to kind of fly through this so we can, uh, we can finish this outline. I'm, I'm hoping to get there. I, I, I think we, well, I don't know. I don't know if we'll make it or not. All right, let's go to number six. They inflict the body which a lot of people have a little bit of a problem with. Scripture differentiates between natural illnesses and those demonically caused. Now, some of you are physicians or you're nurses. My son is a physician, and you've had firsthand experience. Uh, you know, most illnesses, I would argue, were probably not demonic, and yet the Bible does teach that there are some illnesses that can be spiritual in nature. Now, physicians will tell you that state of mind, attitude has a lot to do with our health. Now, it may not fight off some virus or some bacteria, but there's a lot of illnesses that we kind of create in our own minds. And, and as we think in our hearts, so are we. Matthew 4.24, for instance, uh, then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and, and paralytics, and he healed them. When you go through the Gospels and you read, the Gospels differentiate between those who just had natural illnesses and those who had demonic illnesses. And by the way, the illnesses sometimes look the same. Because in essence they are. They're just from a different source. And I know this kind of stretches the mind a little bit, and yet I'm convinced a lot of this is demonic. Uh, look at uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 32 and 34. Uh, at evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Notice the sick and the demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because... Uh, they knew him, which there's a whole lot more there than what Mark is writing. But notice again the differentiation, Luke 7, and at that very hour he cured many of the infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. Then he called his 12 disciples together, gave them power and authority over all demons, and to cure diseases. You see how the Bible is differentiating uh, every now and then? So some of this... Uh, is demonic. So, so what can demons cause uh, in the body? Well, I'm just going to give you a list, and we're not going to go to the scripture references, but they'll be on the screen. The Bible says that they can cause dumbness. So, I have found that most demons are demonically possessed. So, anyway, I thought you would have laughed at that. Dumbness. Notice, they can actually cause the mind not, not to work properly. And you find scriptural references of this uh, blindness. Matthew twelve twenty two talks about the person's blindness was demonic. Uh, deformities. Now, they're not all demonic. And this is where people tend to make a huge mistake. Uh, this is where the word of faith movement has gotten way off in left field. They assume that every illness, 
every deformity, every problem is spiritual. And that if the person would just, uh, you know, have enough faith, they'd, they'd overcome that because it's all demonic. No, there are some ailments. Now, I guess in the end, all illnesses are demonic in that they come from the fall in the garden. But just because a person's sick doesn't mean that they're possessed or that a demon's causing it. But the Bible does tell us that some of these can be demonic in nature. Uh, epilepsy, uh, insanity, you'll find examples of that in Scripture. Uh, suicide, I believe, is incredibly demonic. Now, sometimes it can just simply be depression, manic depressives and others, but but uh, suicide can be demonic. Self-mutilation is a, a very common demonic uh, practice. And then even death, uh, which we will cover a little later um, as we talk about how demons can affect believers. But, but they, can, they can cause death if God allows it. Now remember, all of this is operating under the sovereignty of God. But the point is, we live in a demon-infested universe, and they are powerful, and they're busy. And if we live as though we're not, we're naive at best, suckers at worst, and casualties. I'm telling you, uh, Christian folks think that because they're Christians and they go to church, they're immune to attacks from the enemy. Not so. Not so. We have to be uh, knowledgeable warriors. And then this brings us to number seven, the last point on the outline. And that is uh, that um, demons can affect believers. And this, this then opens a whole new can of worms, which we will really begin to investigate next week. But... Uh, the Bible tells us that Paul was affected by demons. Now, God allowed it. But remember, Paul's thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan. Was not a, a, a faithful angel. It's a fallen angel that's afflicting Paul. Now, God's allowing it just like he did in Job's life. And Paul understands why and harnesses it to do God's work. But the point is, Paul's thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, was demonic. Not because Paul was compromised, but simply because the devil so hated Paul and God allowed it and then used it. My point in, in bringing that up is sometimes we have afflictions that are demonic, but it's not any fault of our own. God is somehow sovereignly allowing this and therefore we need to do as Paul did and find out why and how to use it. It's a tough thing. I'll be the first to tell you, but uh, Paul was affected. The Bible tells us that we can give place to the devil. This is written to Christians. Ephesians 4.27, Paul warns us, do not give place to the devil. Well, why would he warn you not to give room for the devil if you can't? Well, it's because you can. Many Christians give room to the devil. Bitterness, anger, jealousy, greed, resentment. All of those are open doors. For demons to exploit us. I've seen it happen in churches and Christians. People that I would have never thought would cop an attitude that they did. And I think it's demonic. Now we have to cooperate. But notice that's why he says do not give place to the devil. That's not just written to fill some space. That's a, a real problem. Satan and his demons can get an advantage over us, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. What is he saying there? 
Well, he's saying that Satan can get an advantage over us. Therefore, we need to not be ignorant of his devices or he will get an advantage over us. It's a little different than the word of faith preaching that we're always victorious, that everything's going our way. Paul says you need to guard yourself lest the devil get advantage over you. This can happen to believers. This is written to believers. Obviously, the loss Satan has advantage over because he owns them. But this is talking about believers. The Bible says that uh, demons allowed to run rampant in us can cause uh, uh, divisions. Typically, church splits are demonic. Now, they're, they're Christians not obeying God, no doubt. But it's demonic. Notice uh, James says that all of this, uh, all this bitter envy, self-seeking, uh, boasting, divisions, that doesn't come from above. Well, if it doesn't come from above, what is it? He says it's earthly, sensual, and then demonic. This is among Christians. If I was a demon, the place I'd want to mess up the most is the church. Not strip joint, the church. This is, this is a warning. I'm telling you, this is difficult. Now, we'll, we'll come back to all this and, and look at some more things here. They can hinder the ministry. First Thessalonians, Paul says, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. Whoa, the great Paul? Yes. The great apostle Paul was hindered by the devil. Now, if, if, if the devil could hinder Paul, you think he can hinder us? Of course he can. And to live otherwise is to be naive and a sitting duck. They can be used to discipline believers. This is what uh, that passage was a while ago. Uh, in the church at Corinth, there was some case of incest, probably with a stepmother, but regardless, uh, this man had been allowed to continue to fellowship in the church. The church had not disciplined him. He hadn't repented. And Paul says, you need to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, what does that mean? D-O-A. Dead on arrival. Dead as in doornail. That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So he's saying, this man apparently was a Christian, but a very carnal Christian. And you say, well, I don't know how those go together. Yeah, they do. It's, 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 these are difficult subjects. But notice, his death would be satanic. The devil would kill him. All of this, of course, has to do with disobedience and um, God's sovereignty. And then one last verse, and then we're done. 1 Timothy 1, verses 19 and 20. Having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may, not lear- that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, this is Paul saying that a couple of his co-workers, Hymenaeus and Alexander... Assuming they're Christians, he said, I delivered them to Satan to teach him a lesson. Whoa. You hear that preached on much in churches today? No, but this is tough stuff. And notice, they can be used, they meaning the demons, can be used to discipline wayward believers. So much more obviously needs to be said about some of these things because they may create more questions than they provide answers. But at least that gives us a good introduction to how the demon powers and Satan himself can be involved in our lives, not just the lives of unbelievers, in the lives of believers. And why then, Paul says, put on the whole armor, all these things. We'll come back there 
two weeks from today after Easter, and we'll, we'll try to fill in some blanks, okay? All right, thank you so much for being here today, for being patient, letting me finish this. Let's take a break. Here in about 11 or 12 minutes, we'll start our service. God bless you.